Welcome to Practical Christian Living. The Bible says, whom God loves, he disciplines, and the disciplining of the Lord is not pleasant, but it is grievous. And sometimes we mistake the silence of God, the room that God gives us to repent, sometimes we mistake that for God's approval. And it's a dangerous thing to do. We serve a merciful and long-suffering God. He loves us and desires purity in every part of our lives. He wants us to walk so very carefully to guard our hearts and walk in His ways. Today, in our series, Jesus Appointments, we're talking about temptation, about being victorious and overcoming by the blood of the Lamb. Take the time right now to bring everything before God and start living for Him today. Here's part two of Jesus' appointment with Satan and victory over temptation. We're in Matthew chapter four with Robert Furrow. If you wanna know what God is like, you find out in the scriptures that are inspired by God, but you also find out by the word of God who is Jesus. And so when he says man doesn't live by bread alone, we don't live by having our desires met alone. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. One translation says, lacking in nothing. There's nothing that you and I lack because of the word of God. So the way that Jesus overcame this desire of the flesh was to say, having the desires of my flesh met is not what life is about, but it's about living on every word that comes from uh, the, the word, every, everything that comes from the word of God. I think of uh, the passage that tells us in Corinthians that the weapons of God are mighty for pulling down strongholds. That we gain a stronghold in our life. Something has gained a stronghold in our life. You don't need to give in to that stronghold just because you've struggled with it for years. You don't need to stop struggling against it. You can struggle against it and you can have victory in your life by the weapons of God, taking your thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, asking God to change you when it comes to your thoughts and your desires and the way you see things and the way you think of things. There may still be a struggle that is there, but we can overcome the lust of the flesh. Again, 2 John 2.16, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from this world. And we want those things that come to us from, from the Father. Uh, Jesus used the Word of God to overcome these temptations. And that makes me think of Eve. I, I think of Eve being tempted. Jesus was the only one that had a meeting with the devil. Eve had a meeting with the devil. And the devil starts off by questioning something about Jesus. He says to him, if you are the son of God, question mark, then turn this rock into bread then prove it. And he does the same thing with Eve. He says, has God said you can't eat of any of the trees in this garden? There's a tree full of garden. There's a garden full of trees, trees full of gardens. There's a garden full of trees. And, and they could eat from any one of them except one. And so when Satan comes and says, can you, can you, has God said you can't eat from any of these? Do you see the attack on God? Is God keeping things from you? Does he not let you eat from any of these trees that are in the garden? And she said, well, we can eat of the trees of the garden, but of the tree in the middle of the garden, we can't eat. And she left something out. Jesus 
talks about God's word overcoming temptation. And she says, we can eat of the trees in the garden, but do you remember what God told Adam when he said that? You can freely eat of the trees of the garden. She made God's word less gracious as if she was entitled. It's maybe the reason that we need to be thankful for things in our lives, knowing that we have been given things and God has done so much for us and we are not entitled to anything. We can freely eat of all that God has given, except the tree in the middle of it. And then she said, and if we eat of it, we might die, which is not what God said. God said, if you eat of it, you will die. So she changed God's word. Not only did she make God's word less gracious, but she changed God's word. And I think when we give in to temptation, when something becomes a stronghold in our life, it's because we haven't strictly adhered to what God said. We've made little changes to God's word. We've accepted things a little bit differently and we're not receiving it the way that God has actually said it. Let's move on to the second temptation. So the second temptation, the devil took him to the holy city and set him upon the pinnacle of the temple. So there's this temple mount, this wall that's built around the temple. And then there's the temple and there was the pinnacle that was near the, the, the um, I guess it would be what is the west side of the, well, anyway, I won't worry about directions. Uh, there's a high point in the temple wall that has about a 300 foot drop. And he takes him to that very high spot. So now this is supernaturally. The enemy is taking Jesus. He's actually working supernaturally. And he says, if you are the son of God, again, a question. Have you identified that Satan tempts us by questioning certain things? Has God questioned the, the, the goodness of God in your life? Has God, has, has, excuse me, has Satan questioned the goodness of God in your life? Has he, has he questioned you about certain things that have made you respond another way? The, the, the attack on Jesus and the attack on Eve were both on their minds. And so is he, is he getting you to think a different way about God or questioning the goodness of God or maybe questioning who you are? Because that's what he's doing with Jesus. He said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Go ahead, throw, jump off of this, this pinnacle on the temple. And then he quotes scripture. He shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. This is the temptation of the pride of life. He's up on this pinnacle and he's being tempted by the enemy. He's fasted 40 days and 40 nights and he hears a passage that says that the Messiah, which he is, is going to be held up lest he dashes his foot against a stone. So Jesus could literally just fall off of that and not have any consequences. And I think that it's speaking to us that sometimes we think we can do whatever we want to do and there will be no consequences. Or we can sin any way we want to sin and there will be no consequences. But Jesus' response tells us differently. He says, he's, uh, Jesus says, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That is, hey, yes, the, the Messiah, as the Messiah, I would be held up but I'm not going to tempt God. Let me give you a very simple illustration of this. I believe that my life cannot be finished until God's done with me. I believe that I have an appointment. I don't know when that appointment is. God gives us all a certain amount of time here on this earth. And I believe I have a, a, an appointment. And um, for me, I have a, you know, I want to live, live a little longer, but I don't know when I want to live really, really long. All right. 
So somewhere in between those, I'm fine with God taking me whenever he takes me. But if I believe that and I say, so you know what I'm going to do? Because I know that I can't go until it's the appointed time. I'm going to step in front of a train last minute. Just train's coming. I'm just going to step in front of that train. God's going to do something. He's going to make sure the train don't hit me or I'm going to bounce off of it and I'm not going to die. And God says to me, huh, that was your appointed time. Huh, you made it. This is, this is your appointment. You made it. See, we not only tempt God with our lives, but we could tempt God with certain sins. Sins that God has given you warnings about. Sins that you have done. Sins that you might be doing. Sins that you might be contemplating doing that are severe sins. God had said to one of the churches, to Thyatira, I guess it was, I will cast her, Jezebel, he was talking about, to this church. It was a church he was writing to. He says, I will cast her on a sickbed and her children with her. And I brought up in that study that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Corinthians are mistaking communion. Some of them are getting there earlier and there's food there and there's wine there and they're eating all the food. They're being gluttons and, and eating all the food and not leaving any for the rest of the church and they're drinking and getting drunk. And Paul said, for this reason, some of you are sick and some of you are, are dead. Some of you have died. Some of you have, he's used the word sleep because when a Christian dies, he falls asleep. It wasn't that as his child that they couldn't die. They had tempted God and they had done this sin and God was disciplining them. The Bible says, whom God loves, he disciplines. And the disciplining of the Lord is, is not pleasant, but it is grievous. And sometimes we mistake the silence of God, the room that God gives us to repent. Sometimes we mistake that for God's approval. And it's a dangerous thing to do. I, I'm not, I don't want to speak for God. I, I'm very careful not to speak for God. But I really want us to contemplate and consider is there anything that we're doing in our lives that God might say, if you don't stop, I need to step in. You're tempting me now. And you don't tempt the Lord your God. Don't test the Lord your God. Because again, if we say we love him, we want to keep his commandments. And maybe this is a serious moment for, for some here. Maybe you've gone down a road that you think is okay and God is saying, stop it now. There's something serious about this. And so this is the temptation of the pride of life. It is the temptation that you have become somebody. It is the temptation that no matter what happens, you're going to be successful. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And this is a temptation that you are the Messiah. And if you're the Messiah, throw yourself off. And Jesus said, it also says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. By the way, we should point out that Satan misquoted the scriptures. Does that shock anybody here, by the way, that Satan would misquote the scriptures? The actual psalm, Psalms 91.11 says, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. And if in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Satan conveniently left out to keep you in all of your ways. That yes, we walk in the ways of the Lord. And yes, God's gracious and God is good and God is loving and God works with us. But there are times when we are not walking in his ways and we put ourselves into the, the category of testing God or tempting God. And that's exactly what he did. I, I also think about Eve again here with this temptation. I think about her standing before that. 
and, and Satan telling her that God didn't want them to know good and evil. And I think that struck her in that pride, the pride of life, that she wanted to know good and evil. God certainly had a plan. God wasn't going to keep Adam and Eve naive forever. They were going to rule with him. They were given dominion. God created Adam and Eve. God created us that we might rule with him. And that instead of doing it God's way, she ended up doing it her own way. And so then finally we come to the, the third temptation. And again, that temptation is that we can do whatever we want to do and there will be no consequences, which is certainly not true. God loves you and God is gracious and God gives you space to repent, but that's certainly not true. So the third temptation is in verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things I will give you if you bow down and worship me. This is the ultimate shiny thing. I, I've been quoting 1 John, all the things that are in the world, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, or the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. This temptation is the lust of the eyes. The kingdoms of their world in all of their splendor, in all of their glory would have been given to Jesus. And the thing about this temptation for Jesus is that this is, this is who he is. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the God who will rule over the kingdoms of the world in all of their splendor, in all of their glory. And here he is weakened from fasting and heading towards the cross, heading towards the suffering, heading towards the struggle. He's about to begin that ministry that's going to bring him there. And this is a shortcut that he could, he could pass it by. I somehow think that uh, Jesus didn't have a trouble at all with this temptation. I somehow think that he would have never have bowed down before Satan. But I also wonder how many people have sold their souls for money. Or how many people have sold their souls for that compromise to embezzle that money, to, to fake something to, in order to get money. There certainly is a large group of people who will get money at any cost, at any cost. Money to us symbolizes anything that I could have, anything at all. When, of course, that's not what God wants for us. The Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18 says, command those who are rich. It's not that God doesn't, God, there, God allows some people to be rich. God gives people different gifts. Maybe some of you here have been given the gift of poverty. Thought I was going to say riches, huh? Maybe some of you guys have been given the gift of poverty, but maybe some of you guys have been given the gift of riches. And he says to those who are rich not to trust in the uncertainty of riches. Listen, he says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. See, because riches can make you haughty. It can make you proud. Nor to uh, trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in the living God who gives to us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, with, with the money that God's given you, do good things. To be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. God has given you a gift with the, the, the finances that you might be able to use them as a gift. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, he says, but those who desire to be rich, that might be someone who's rich, but it might also be someone who's poor. 
But those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root. I, I typed this out earlier today. I say the rock of all kinds of evil. But it's actually root. Uh, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Let me read you another passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content with the lot that God has given you and being godly is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these things we should be content. In those verses, I've always thought that God should add something else. Food, clothing, house. How about that? <laughs> For me, food, clothing, car. Gotta have a car. How am I gonna live without a car? Right? Food, but with food and clothing, with these things we should be content. One more thing. Eve... When she stood in front of that fruit, it says, and Eve saw that the fruit was desirable for food. The lust of the flesh was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and desirable to make one wise, the pride of life. I think every sin can be put into one of these three categories. And I think every one of these categories we have struggles with. And when we might struggle with the pride of life, but not feel like it's as bad as someone who's struggling with the lust of the flesh. Or we might struggle with the lust of the flesh and feel like it's not as bad as someone who struggles with uh, the lust of the eyes, wanting to surround themselves with pretty things, always wanting something that is better. We may judge other people when Jesus said, judge yourself and you will not need to be judged by others. Honestly, look at your own heart in each one of these categories and ask yourself if you have been tempted by any of these things. I have said of Jesus that I don't think that he really had a problem with this and I really don't think that he did. It says that Jesus said to him, where am I at? Yeah, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord God and him alone shall you serve. I, I think that Satan had no choice but to leave. I think Jesus being Jesus, Jesus being the Messiah, Jesus being God in the flesh, could have said away with you at any point. It'd be kind of nice if we could, wouldn't it? We're in the throes of temptation. We could just say away with you, Satan. But to some degree, maybe we could if we would have the presence of mind to call out upon our Savior, to call the name of Jesus, to remember that everything that we need comes from Him. James chapter 1 tells us about sin. It says that each one of us is, we sin when we are enticed by our own desires. We have desires and we're enticed by them. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. That's why God doesn't want sin in our lives because it's destructive, it's deceptive. It brings about death in our lives. And that's why we want to get it out of our lives and give God that purity. But then I love the next verse in James 1. Right after talking about sin bringing death, it says, but every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. You think you need that? You think you need that lust of the flesh? You think you need that pride of life? You think that you need that new shiny thing? And God says, every good and perfect gift comes down from me.
to you. And finally, it says, verse uh, 10, verse 11, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. When we resist the enemy, God ministers to us. I love that angels minister to him here. Angels minister to him later in the Garden of Gethsemane too when he faces another temptation. After both times of these facing these temptations, angels come and minister to him. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that are they not all ministering spirits sent to minister to us? I think we have angels that minister to us too, maybe after we have faced a temptation and maybe after we need that strengthening. Three things in closing. Number one, you're not alone. Jesus faced Satan alone. But Jesus said, I will never leave you and forsake you. He is with you in any, any temptation that you face. And I believe that God, and I don't know that I have a scripture to, maybe I do it if I, I think about it enough, but I believe that God puts up roadblocks for us. That he puts up signs saying, don't do this that he works in our lives to say, I'm not happy with this. And that if we would listen to it and know that he is with us and that we can call upon his name and ask him for help, we are not alone. Secondly, the spirit knows what he's doing when he's testing us. And I love the scripture that says he will not give us more than we can bear. The devil may lead us into the wilderness. He may lead us to some testing temptation that we might be able to grow, but he will not never bring us into a place that is too hot. Finally, the battle over temptation with both Jesus and Eve was over the approach to this world. We have this world and all the sin that is in it, and we have eternal life with our Savior, and we come to it with a body that hasn't been redeemed yet. You've been redeemed, but your body hasn't been redeemed, and therefore there is a struggle. And that's what Paul said in, in Galatians, the spirit struggles against the flesh and the flesh struggles against the spirit so that we don't do the things that we desire. We end up falling short. And when we do, we come to him and find forgiveness. This is not a message telling you that you're going to be perfect. This is a message saying, continue on in the struggle against sin. And when you need it, walk in the grace that God's given you. Receive the grace of our champion who stood before the enemy and won and defeated him and stood in our place as he did. Let's stand and pray. Let's have the worship team come on up. And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you as we consider Jesus here uh, before Satan. And we see these three different temptations, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh. And we realize that each one of us have struggled with these. There's none of us who hasn't. And we know that. And Lord, we pray that we would be that we would walk in your grace, that we would know that you are faithful and just to forgive our sins when we confess our sins to you. And we are so thankful for that. And that there is nothing that we have done that we can't come back to you now and confess and see you work with. And there's no place that you can't take us from and take us to that place where we become the men, the women you want us to be. And so, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us, that we would not be condemned. We would not condemn ourselves. For there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that we would walk in the grace you've given us and that we would give you our lives and keep your commandments because of the spirit that is within us and the love that we have for you. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.